Today we'll pick up where we last left off as we'll see the remnant which remains true to Christ. All this and a whole lot more on today's Bible Study Podcast. another edition of Bible Study Podcast. My name is Justin and I'm glad to be with you again tonight. I hope you're all doing well and, and I want you to know that if you would like to get in touch with me for any reason, whether it be prayer requests or questions or comments or, or just anything else you can think of, you can always reach me at BibleStudyPodcastJustin at gmail.com. I try to get back with you as soon as possible, so feel free to drop me a line. I'd also like to announce two new things to Bible Study Podcast. The first is we have a new host who is featured on Tuesdays. His name is Matthew Graham, and he will be going through the book of Job and talking about the problem of evil. So be sure to check that out at BibleStudyPodcast.org or from any other method that you've been using to get to the podcast, like iTunes or other sites. Second, be watching on BibleStudyPodcast.org starting in January as we'll begin having video podcasts, which will be short clips with some kind of skit or lesson or something involving video on different subjects. So be watching to see as this is an exciting new area for this ministry. Finally, I'd like to thank all of you who have been in prayer for my neck. Uh, it feels much better, and I seem to have a, a normal range of motion once again, so I just want to thank you for your prayers. And Now that my school semester is over, I, I hope to have a little more time to rest up and hopefully do some work on my neck and back muscles, which have kind of taken a beating the last few months as you you may have been aware of if you've been listening. So I want to thank you for your prayers and just ask you to continue to pray for this ministry. With that said, let's begin tonight with a word of prayer. Our Father, we thank you so much for the privilege to come before your throne. Every day we see how truly inadequate we are of your mercy, and we praise you for the grace that saves us. Please open our ears to hear what you have told us through your word. It's in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus, that we pray. Amen. Now, as I alluded to earlier in the intro, today we'll be picking up in John chapter 6, verse 67, following what we've been hearing the past three or four weeks, as Jesus has explained what it means to say that He is the bread of life. Now, remember that last week we talked about what happens when you present the gospel and people say no, they don't believe in Christ. Well, today we're going to see how the rejection of Christ by the people will serve as kind of the top bun of a sandwich of Christ being rejected, with a picture of those who do follow him stuck in the middle. So as we begin, I want to remind you of verse 66, which told us that many of Jesus' disciples had withdrew and walked with him no longer. Now just a side note here, we kind of see a minor theme that goes throughout John's writings, both in the gospel and in his epistles. And it's this idea of walking. To John, the idea of being a Christian is often summed up by how one walks. For instance, to walk in the light is to follow God. That's why this terminology is important, as he's making it clear that the people are no longer walking with him. They don't believe in him. So in the face of rejection that he has just received, Jesus turns to his disciples, this close group of twelve men that has come after him, and in verse 67, he asks them, You do not want to go away also, do you? 
And I think the question comes at a very appropriate time for these disciples to truly be able to ponder it. It's not just a face question. It, it's something that is probably going through their mind. Because in the face of a teaching that is quite honestly different, and if not different than strange to them, multitudes of followers have been turning aside. I mean, this question is a huge step in the disciples' lives. Now, the Greek in this verse is not quite as polished as it reads a rejected Christ asking them, and not you? You want to go away as well? I mean, it's almost as if he's asking them, really? You see them going and you're not going to? At this point, I'd like to note that there will be times in your life when you will have to make a tough choice as well. Times when everyone around you seems to be bailing out and your choice is to either follow them or do what is right. Now the question may have arisen for you as well, would I rather follow what Christ is teaching me or do I want to go with the crowd? Well, I think there are times that this occurs to us and I think these are times that try us, that stretch us and, and they really help to make us who we are. And it's kind of in that vein that John is showing us who these roughneck fishermen are developing to be as Peter, the leader of the twelve, the one who will later become the rock upon which the church was built, rises to answer. Now please note with me that any time we see Peter appear and say something, at least in the Gospels, we tend to kind of cringe a little bit. I mean, it <laughs> kind of reminds me of when you see a good kid from down the street walk into a, you know, a fine china shop with his baseball bat in his hand. I mean, you know the kid means well. You know, he's a very personal kid. He's very good with talking. But, you know, he, he always wants to do what's right. But you kind of are always afraid that something's going to go wrong with that bat and lots of stuff is going to get broken. That's kind of the idea we have of Peter at this stage in his life. It's kind of one of those things that you know he's trying hard. You know he means well. But you're just waiting for the wreck to happen. But this is not one of those times for Peter. For as impulsive as he often is, as careless as he sometimes speaks, as often as he gets into this stage where he basically just says, open mouth, insert foot, it's here that he will say something truly magnificent, something that carries through as an incredible sign of belief. So please look with me to verses 68 and 69 of chapter 6 of the Gospel of John. And we'll see that Peter answers, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Now again, the New American Standard here kind of smooths out this conversation somewhat. And, and in the original Greek, I, it's just so emphatic, it's so clear. It's as if Peter is essentially saying, Oh, Lord, to whom shall we go? The words of life eternal you have, and we are believing and we are knowing that you are the Holy One of God. See, Peter is passionately saying here, But Lord, where else can we go? Who else could we turn to? If we were to leave, where could we find this? You have the words of eternal life. You can tell us how to be saved. You can grant us the ability to truly live. Where else could we go? Now, Another interesting point here is that in the Greek, there is no sentence break between verse 68 and 69. The thought begun with, you have the words of eternal light, is not in isolation as it so seems. Now, Peter is really saying, 
Jesus, you have the words of eternal life, and we are believing and knowing that you are the Holy One of God. Indeed, the question has been answered with an equally strong question. Where else could I go? You know, I think Peter's led us to something here that is worth thinking about for a moment at least. Many times as Christians, we turn away from God, seeking to do things our own way. Those of us who aren't Christians, we live that way. We, we live away from God, turned away from what He has told us through His Word and through His people. We seek some other way to live, some way to get what we want done the way we want it. And we look elsewhere for answers. But Peter's question strikes in my mind on this issue. It, it just rings a bell for me as it is key that we must realize, where else can we go? Sure, we can try to do things our way. We can try to live our own way. But it's going to fail. We're not infinite. We're definitely not all-knowing. and We don't have a clue what will come out of our decisions. But Christ does have the answers. As Peter says, it is he alone that has the words of eternal life. It's through his commands that we may truly live. It must be at the foot of the throne of God that we seek our answers. And it must be through him that we find our truth. Now this does not mean that we should not study. This does not mean that the only thing that we should look at is the Bible. But it means we should remember that all truth flows from God. What we learn about science is what God has allowed us to know. What we learn about Physics, what we learn about biology, chemistry, business, economics, whatever you want to go into. The truth of those things comes from God. It's from Him that we seek the answer. Who else can we turn to? Well, this being said, Jesus responds by asking them, Did I not choose you? Yet one of you is the devil. And now John gives us an editorial note to close up that Jesus was meaning Judas. For he would betray him. Now I have to admit to you listeners, I have to be honest on this. This response kind of bothered me at first. I didn't completely understand why on earth would Jesus answer this way at this point. Why did John write this down here? What is he trying to show us by recording this response right after Peter's great statement of faith? I think the answer is that we're beginning to see as I mentioned to you some weeks ago, that the people are rejecting Christ. They don't believe in Him, and they're beginning to turn away. As we continue forward, we will see the people not only get stronger in their rejection, but also begin to voice their opposition, leading us all the way to the cross. But I think the point of the story is to show us something important. We have just seen a large number of followers fall away. In the beginning of chapter 7, we will see Jesus' brother come to Him, and counsel him on how to make himself a star, as they don't believe in him either. But here, kind of tucked away at the end of chapter 6, we see a message that has been carried over from an Old Testament truth. Despite the fact that God has fed the people, and given them what they need, they reject him. Yet, there is a remnant among them who stays true. See, we see this in this situation. Jesus, at the beginning of John 6, has fed the people in a way that is very reminiscent of the Jews being fed in the wilderness. He's explained to them the truth of God, that He is the true bread, and they must eat of His flesh and drink of His blood in order to be saved. Yet they reject Him. He's too hard to understand. He demands too much, they claim. In chapter 7, He will be 
Jesus will be preparing for the Passover, and his family will attempt to make him into the Palestine idol, trying to work him as a celebrity, perhaps with the hope of popularity, I don't know. But they do so, for they don't believe in him as the Christ. But just like in the times of old, when the people would attempt to, for lack of better word, prostitute out the temple and the people of God, looking for benefit out of something they clearly don't believe in, Jesus would not appease their wishes, as we'll see next week. But here, in the middle of all that, we see a picture of those few who remain faithful. We see that they don't leave when the crowds separate and file away. They stay true to the call. They look beyond just the temporal, and they realize that there is eternal life that this man is bringing, for he is the Holy One of God. However, the sad part is that even in this small group of believers, there's one who's not a believer. Even in the group that seems to be the last ones holding strong, there's one who doesn't fit. He's not a believer. He's not there to follow the God-man. Now, I'm not one to speculate about why Judas followed Christ. I know there are hundreds of theories as to why he would follow someone so intensely only to betray him. I mean, I, I've heard them. I, some of you have even asked me, why Why would Judas go after him if he didn't believe? Do you think Judas was a believer? What, You know, all these questions about why did Judas follow? And to be honest, I, I don't think it really matters. I don't think it's important. What's important is that even in Jesus' closest circle, the twelve that were chosen to learn directly from his hand, there is one who is not faithful to the call. Now, I don't want to turn this into a time of harping on the church, and, and I don't really have the time to develop this thought much deeper, but allow me to commend to your thinking this observation, something for you to chew on later, if you will. If the group that was closest to our Lord Jesus the one who is literally God in the flesh, had one who was unfaithful. Should it surprise us if among our ranks in the church there are those who are not truly sons of God? There are those who are not truly believers. Well, I had wanted to try to get into chapter 7 a bit today, but time just simply won't allow it. And, and as we close up chapter 6, uh, would you allow me just to note a couple of observations about what has happened? We saw in chapter 5 that the resistance from the Jewish leaders was beginning and that they had already wanted to kill Jesus. But as we entered chapter 6, we saw Jesus out among the people on the side of a lake, feeding thousands who were following. But notice with me that the thousands of people who were gathered together at the beginning of the chapter has fell to no more than 12 men by the end of the chapter. And even among the 12, there's one of them in doubt. I think there is a lesson to be learned in this for our personal ministries. You see, Jesus began with crowds who followed because he did signs. He was meeting needs. He was everybody's servant. He was the top guy. But when the teaching began to hit home, when the people realized the reason he did these things, many fell away quickly. And you see, we can get a lot of people to come out to our events. You know, we can do something cool. We can have a car show, we can have a basketball tournament, we can get a ton of people. You know, I could fill up an arena. But it's not the number that counts. You see, the number that starts out with us is not as important as the number of people who join us in our journey of following Christ.
You see, we're not a church of numbers. We're not a group of people who measures our success based on how many come out. But we're a people who follow Christ. We would do well to remember that just because we have a lot of people does not make us better Christians. It's how we relate to Christ that makes us a stronger Christian. It's our relationship with Him that determines how well we are doing. I also think that we can see that it is indeed true that the path is narrow and the travelers are quite few in following Christ. But even though we are seemingly few in number, our power is not our own, but rather it is the power of God imparted to us. It's because the Spirit resides within us that we can make a difference, not because we are bigger or better. Thus, we can never underestimate the work that the church can do. Finally, I think we can truly end this chapter with the same call that we have seen throughout the book. The central message that can be taken from chapter 6 is that even though many do not believe, even though they are falling away, it's through Christ alone that we may have life. That message is still applicable today, friends. We're all sinners. We're sinners by birth. We're sinners by choice. We've all done wrong and we all deserve death. We deserve separation from God in a very real place of torment called hell. However, through Christ's death we have a way to get back to God. His death pays the price for our sins. His resurrection breaks the power of death, making us sons of God, heirs to His throne. If we would but believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that His death pays for our sins, and in believing we would turn away from our sins and turn to God, the Bible says we will be saved from our sins and will be saved to an eternal life. This is the message that Jesus saves. If you have not trusted Him as your Lord and Savior, please don't wait. Find a pastor. Find a trusted friend in your life who can lead you to our Savior, who can stay with you and train you in what it means to be in Christ. Get involved in a local church. Learn from the Word of God. Learn from the Bible, which is God's message to us. Listen to it. Pray. And know that I'll be praying for you as you begin your journey anew. With that said, friends, I, I wish you grace and peace as we leave. And until we meet again, may God bless and keep you. Set me aside by your will and by your truth. Let me represent you in the world. But for the sakes of the Many of you who have been listening to Bible Study Podcasts may recognize this as the voice of Marcus Bradley, and I just want to encourage you as Christmas time comes near and Marcus is an artist trying to get by and trying to work in his ministry as a singer, if you'd like to get a hold of his CD, let him know at http colon slash slash web dot mac dot com slash Marcus Bradley. From there you'll be able to go and purchase his CD and and it's a great CD, and it doesn't cost much, so I really just want to encourage you to get a hold of this, give it to your relatives, give it to people you love, and help support a brother. Set me aside by your will 
Commit myself to 